Hello, 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 and welcome to this edition of Weightless in Mind, Body, and Spirit with Dr. Carol Penn. I am so excited this morning coming to you on location from the city of brotherly and sisterly love, Philadelphia. Let's see who is coming online this morning. Be sure to come on in and say hello. Drop that in the chat. And I just welcome you, welcome you, welcome you. We're going to get going in a few minutes with a very special guest that we have waiting backstage in the green room. But before that, we're going to give people a chance to uh, wake up on this Sunday morning. I am so excited to be here in the city of brotherly and sisterly love at the charming Alexander Inn in the old city of Philadelphia. Good morning and welcome, Victoria. Good morning from Wilmington, Delaware, one of our nation's preeminent, fantastic, amazing, and talented occupational therapist. So welcome, Victoria. Go ahead and drop your name in the chat. Let us know where you are shouting out happy Sunday morning from so I can greet you, give you a proper hello, a proper welcome. So anyway, who am I and what is this show about? Well, this show is called Weightless in Mind, Body, and Spirit. And it's hosted by yours truly, Dr. Carol Penn, doubly board certified in family medicine, obesity medicine. I should say triply board certified because also osteopathic manipulative medicine. I am your master movement meditation and mindset coach with a global reputation and a local heart because I love my people. I love to take care of friends and family in the community close to home. Good morning and welcome to my beloved DM who is also producing today's show as she produces all of the shows. And It's just been such a fantastic journey, a dream come true to work with my life partner. Good morning, Deb Lawrence, and welcome. Good morning, Kyla. Yes, from Chicago. Kyla and Kim from Chicago. Woo, my goodness, Glover. I wonder if we're related with that last name. Good morning and welcome, Rebecca. Rebecca, you all, is our super special guest on next Sunday's show. So go ahead and mark your calendar right now, right now. And I am just so honored to 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 host this show where we do talk about the medical aspects of obesity medicine and all that that impacts. And we also talk about what it means to be weightless in mind, body, and spirit emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. Go ahead and drop that in the chat if you know the answer to that question for yourself. What does it mean to you and for you to be weightless in mind, body, and spirits. Yes, indeed, indeed, indeed. Well, we have just such a lovely gathering of folks already on. So without further ado, I want to introduce my superstar friend. Wait till you meet her. You are going to so enjoy her 
and enjoy this presentation. So there she is. You could see her beautiful smile. And I would like to read bios of my guests while they're on camera, just so they can sit back and receive and be poured into as they hear their greatness, their magnificence reflected back to them. So I'm excited. I'm excited. All right. Dr. Keena Peppers, my friend and colleague, my sister doc, a highly acclaimed board certified ob and women's healthy lifestyle coach. She is the CEO of All In Phenomenally LLC, a retired lieutenant colonel with two tours in Iraq, earning her a bronze star. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. Her expertise in medicine and personal experience with illnesses have positioned her as a thought leader in the field of women's health and the go-to coach for women that suffer from chronic illness. So tune in, tune in. Anyone who's challenged with chronic long-term illness, you are in for something pretty special. With her mantra, the cure when there is no cure, at the forefront. She is passionate about helping women with chronic illnesses learn and practice healthy habits that improve their quality of life through a holistic approach that promotes physical, mental, and emotional wellness. Welcome, Dr. Kina, to Weightless in Mind, Body, and Spirit. Good morning. Thank you so much, Dr. Carol. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for your invitation. You're welcome. You're you're welcome. And also welcome Patricia Gilmore, who's tuned in and saying good morning to Dr. Carol and Dr. Kina. So we are so glad that we have this wonderful audience here watching with us, participating participating with us. And I'm going to ask the audience members, go ahead. If you've got somebody who you want to have tune in, invite them to tune in, invite them to watch with us and go ahead and share liberally because sharing is caring. And also this show is recorded as a podcast. So if you can't join with us live, you can listen at any time and still receive this information, these pearls of wisdom. All right, so Dr. Keena, let's go ahead and let's get into it. The theme of July is to nurture. It is to nurture, to nurture oneself in mind, body, and spirit. I want you just to hold that in your mind and in your heart as we go forward. But, you know, so now you're a women's healthy lifestyle coach, really focusing on women who have chronic illness. But first, let us find out why and how you became a doctor. Oh, wow. Well, it's very interesting. I became a doctor because... When I was about four years old, I used to sit at the table with my mom and sister. My mother was in nursing school and she used to bring home 
like a cat to dissect. And I was so interested in the cat that she was dissecting and what I could do and how I could participate that I went and in school did a frog. I did a frog and I labeled it up and I got everything ready. And I was so excited and I actually won. And I said then that I wanted to be a nurse like my mom. My mom became a registered nurse and she was in the emergency room. So she would come home and she would tell us all of these stories about everything that she had done throughout the day. And my mother said to me, no, 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 you don't want to be the person that is getting the orders. You want to be the person that's giving the orders. And that really stuck on me. And I said, you know what? I'm going to be a doctor. And in my area where I grew up, I saw a lot of teenage pregnancies, teenage pregnancies that did not get the proper prenatal care. And that was what developed my interest in ob So I wanted to make sure that pregnant women, no matter where you live, no matter what your income was, that you had the opportunity to get the same prenatal care as everyone else. So that is why I became an ob and I initially started working in underserved areas because I wanted to make sure that they received the proper prenatal care. Oh, wow. That is fantastic. Yeah, I love women's health and I love obstetrics and gynecology. And as you know, one of the things um, has really been brought to light and highlighted over the recent year of the pandemic is the ever widening gap of health care disparities is the implicit bias. Yes, this systemic racism. So, you know, your mission to help the underserved continues to unfold. But what can you share with us as a woman, as a woman of African-American heritage, as a woman mm-hmm. who's part of this disparaged minority right. called that's in, um, wow, my goodness, uh, you know, sort of, you know, that, 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 you know, the lack of care, mm-hmm. the increasing mortality and morbidity. Mm-hmm. What can we do to protect ourselves against a system that seems to be pitched against us? How do we improve this mortality and morbidity in the African American community. And you know what, Dr. Keena, if it affects one woman of any color, of any race, it impacts all women. What can we definitely, do? Definitely. Well, the thing that's really interesting about that is that health disparities really, really affect African American women. In fact, three to four times African-American women will actually have mortality, which means that they die. And they die in uh, situations that surround um, prenatal or um, deliveries for African-American women. And that rate actually goes up to almost 12. It really depends on where you live. And it really brings us down to 
the same rate as uh, some developing uh, countries, which is crazy because we live in the United States. So women should have much better outcomes, but it's African-American women versus white women. So the American College of OB-GYN and the Maternal Fetal Medicine Society, they want to bring these numbers down because when you look at the studies, it actually shows that um, everything that happens, half of those things are preventable. So let me say that again, half of those things are preventable. So for every maternal death, there are actually about 100 severe morbidity. So that means that for every woman that dies, there is something that has to be done, some type of life-saving um, technique, surgery, something has to be done so that they do not have morbidity. I mean, I'm sorry, they do not have mortality, but they have morbidity. And the things that come into play are, some of them are patient factors, like the community where the patient is coming from, uh, the neighborhoods, and some of it falls on the provider. So may, sometimes you get a provider that is not uh, up to date with what things should be done. Um, you have access to quality health care. And a lot of those things factor in and play an important role on the quality of care that African-American women are getting. So when we think about it, we talk about, for instance, um, pregnancy-induced hypertension. And what falls under that would be preeclampsia. Preeclampsia is a huge factor when it comes to uh, morbidity and mortality. And preeclampsia, basically, it falls under the realm of uh, pregnancy, um, morbidity, and mortality, where you get elevated blood pressures and uh, protein in your urine. Sometimes plus or minus edema or swelling of the extremities. They kind of took that out um, some time ago, but definitely the protein in your urine and the elevated blood pressures. And there comes uh, hemorrhage and infection. And a lot of times the hospital uh, plays a factor because depending on what the where the hospital is, they may not have the... Um, the M&M, um, I'm sorry, the uh, MFM, they may not have the, the specialized physicians mm -hmm. take care of high-risk patients. So, of course, prenatal care falls in there with some women not receiving any prenatal care and then some women coming in with late prenatal care. Um, and then the other things would be chronic disease. So a lot of African-American women they come with high blood pressure, diabetes, sometimes uncontrolled. They may not have access to that maternal fetal medicine physician or have access to the subspecialties. Um, so what happens is the American College of OB-GYN wants us to do drills. And those drills may include drills for postpartum hemorrhage, for uh, shoulder dystocias, where you know you have a larger baby, the head comes out, but the shoulders get stuck. 
So, um, and then just reviewing the, the, the protocol in which there's things, certain things that have to happen depending on what the emergency is. So there should be a certain protocol that gets followed when you have the patient with the shoulder dystocia or with the postpartum hemorrhage, which is huge on the list for uh, morbidity and mortality. Well, it's so interesting because it reminds me of Dr. Atwal Gawande, who talks about that, the checklist, when he's referring mm -hmm. to the checklist that pilots go through, which has proven right. to reduce critical errors over time and, and to introduce that into to medicine, particularly in these situations where you've got to make split second decisions and you need to know if this, then that, if this, and that, and running it down in the moment. Well, mm -hmm. that this is a direction that will evolve. And there's so much more, there's so much more. There's these, the, the social determinants that impact mm -hmm. health and, and put women of minority populations um, at risk in the first place. We've got a lot of work to do in our medical we community. Do. We, we do. have a lot of work to do. So we have a question from one of our esteemed audience members. This is from the, uh, the therapist who will be our superstar guest next week, Rebecca. What is your view on enhancing the role of doulas to support women of color to reduce their risk of poor prenatal care, labor care, and post-birth care. And then we have someone else, Marion, asking what's a doula. And I have to say, I was a doula between my career dancer, doula to doctor. So <laughs> perhaps we can go with that because I was going to be an ob Yes, yes, that is so funny. I definitely believe that they they factor in because they play a role that physicians can't play because of the nurturing that we're talking about today. They definitely would be able to aid in all of that, especially when it comes to uh, getting the patient prepared for having a baby, uh, speaking to them about breastfeeding, and then um, being there throughout the pregnancy. Uh, sometimes the doulas are there during the delivery, which of course right now um, things are kind of different with um, COVID because only one person is allowed in the delivery room. However, they also play a role, a huge role in postpartum so that they can guide the patients into what to expect. So, you know, we do the delivery. We see the patients, uh, it previously used to be six weeks postpartum, but now we actually see the patients at the three-week postpartum mark. If they have complications like elevated blood pressures or they have preeclampsia, we typically see them like three to four days after delivery so that we can make sure that their blood pressures are controlled. But the doula definitely plays a role. Thank you. I really enjoyed my um, 
that part of, of my transition career. I taught childbirth education classes. Mm -hmm. yep. um, I was a doula. I enjoyed that, that, that role. Of, the doula is there to nurture. The, yeah. She's there to support the mom. She's particularly, particularly can play an instrumental role for women who want to minimize any kind of medical inter unnecessary medical mm -hmm. intervention. But because of the intensity of labor, somebody might be saying, oh, you know, well, it's like, I want this, I want that. Because <laughs> women can get, when they don't feel supported, right? feel overwhelmed in that moment. And I can tell you personally, I also had a postpartum doula which okay. was invaluable. She came to my home every day for about four hours. She helped support me with breastfeeding. I was determined to successfully breastfeed for you, which I did for 18 months. Oh my goodness, that's wonderful. Yeah, so it was a wonderful journey. Um, I was also, and then, you know, after you have a baby, you're tired. Right. Right, you're really and I had a very large baby, so you know the the toll that that took on my body. He was close to ten pounds. Ooh, ooh a whopper with cheese. Right, right. So you, know, you don't you, you don't know who God is going to give you and what you have to deal with. And right. he was he was also two a.m. and five a.m. Those were his wakeful hours. Okay. Those were his wakeful hours in utero. And those were his, his wakeful hours after he was born. So mm -hmm. I wasn't getting much sleep. So I really appreciated um, that the extra pair of hands. She would come over, you know, I would feed him. She'd make a little bit of meal. And then she'd tuck us both in for a nap. <laughs> and it was fabulous. And I did feel nurture and support it and now because of this size i had to have a little repair work okay okay you know? and i was sore he was heavy i wasn't okay. supposed to lift anything that heavy after okay. my repair work was done so you know all of those reasons and she would just support she would i lived in new york city at the time uh -huh. in a beautiful building gorgeous Art Deco, and along with that pier, it was no elevator. Oh, <laughs> I was not supposed to carry that ten-pound bundle up and down. Oh my goodness! Flights and steps. Right. So, so the doula comes in as the nurturer, exactly as the supporter, and she can become a very important part of a woman's wellness team and make a tremendous difference in terms of whether she suffers postpartum anxiety, depression, or, you know, yeah. even the sort of transitory baby blues. Very, very, very useful. Exactly. Exactly. And, um, and I would say doulas have come into use and been popular now for me. Oh, Dr. Carroll, I think you may be frozen. They're hanging there. We're back. Hey. We're going to hang in there with the technology and the shit. That's okay. So now, 
let's switch gears for a moment. Okay. You were a lieutenant colonel. Yes. Someone yes. to be talking to you. Two tours of duty in Iraq. How did you go into the army and what was that like? Wow. Okay. So in grammar school and high school, my mother worked triple time. Um, my parents were divorced early and my mother wanted to give us a, um, she basically made our environment. She sent us to public, um, instead of the public schools that were in my area, we went to the Catholic schools. And of course, going to a Catholic school, you had to pay for the tuition. So for grammar school and high school, my mom did that. She worked several jobs as a, a nurse. And then when I went to college, I tried to figure out how I could possibly pay for college without my mom having to work all of those jobs. So I joined the Army National Guard because they paid 100 tuition, 100% tuition, if you went to a state-funded school. Mm. So that was exactly how I winded up joining the Army National Guard. And it's it's funny that you asked because that's a little excerpt that I was going to read from my upcoming book. <laughs> But but that was exactly how I got started. Oh my goodness! Well, you ready to read that excerpt? We want to know. We can. Oh my goodness! Yes, I can. Okay, so and what's the name of your upcoming book? I am actually working on the name. Okay, all right. I, I Yo, don't we're getting a preview. We got. We know how privileged we are. We have a good morning to Diane Hurst, and welcome to the show, Weightless and Mind, Body, and Spirit. So I'm ready for that preview. Let's hear, let's hear an excerpt from this upcoming book. So exciting. So this is uh, a wellness check for affirmations. So affirmations are words or phrases that you speak into existence. They are linked to new mindsets. So when I was training for the marathon, I told myself repeatedly, you are a runner. It's very much the same concept as dressing the part. So dressing like you already have the job in the same light, you want to speak it, claim it for yourself. Start your day with positive affirmations. When I was learning how to walk and talk, I told myself I could do it. Here are some, some of my favorite affirmations. Feel free to use them. Post your affirmations on the mirror, in your bathroom, in your bedroom, on your refrigerator. I love myself. I am a conqueror. I am strong. I am a survivor. I will not give up. I am a winner. I control my life. I am courageous. I am blessed. I am confident. I choose to be happy today on purpose. I can do anything. I am worthy. So never accept defeat. Battles can be very challenging, 
but the taste of victory is so sweet. We are the masters of our fate. Even though you can catch the football, there are tacklers waiting to bring you down. Sidestep them, jump over them, continue the course. You are still a winner if you don't cross the finish line. I am a conqueror and I too, following my plan of lifestyle change, be victorious, be the one that will, not the one who won't. So I graduated in high school at the top of my class. Then I started college. My mother was still working overtime to pay for my college tuition. Just as she'd done for me and my sister back in our Catholic school days, she was getting older and seeing my mother so tired from working so hard did not sit right with me. I had to fix that. So during my second year of college, a recruiter from the Army National Guard visited our campus. He said, you can get 100% a scholarship as long as you went to a state-funded school. I was at a state-funded school and I wanted to relieve my mother from having to work so hard to pay my tuition through school. So the National Guard sounded like a perfect solution for me. I joined the Army National Guard with 100% tuition scholarship as a private first class. I joined in 1987. Then I decided I wanted to become an officer in 1991. I was recommended among several hundreds of other eager soldiers throughout the state to become a pawn for officer candidate school. In my mind, it was what my mother had told me before. You don't want to be the one taking the orders. You want to be the one giving the orders. So I wanted to become an officer. One of my sergeants doubted that I would be able to get through because according to him, I didn't like anyone telling me what to do. I told him, I'm going to make it. I am going to do it. There were hundreds of people who had been nominated by top officers in their companies. We went through this long process of getting chosen for officer candidate school. We started out with a class of 130. 18 months later, we graduated 29. I was at the top of my class with only four other female candidates becoming a fresh lieutenant. This was a huge milestone for me. It was mentally and physically challenging. After being told by the training officers that I'd never become one of them, I made every stride and never gave up. My mother always told me that when someone says you can't, you prove them wrong by showing them what you can do. I did just that. It was purely mind over matter. Low crawling in mud, push-ups, pull-ups, five-mile run, just to get us prepared. If you had to throw up, they tell you, throw up over your shoulder and keep running. <laughs> they'd be face down telling you what you can't do. I was in shape, so I was compatible. It was extremely difficult, 
It was to test your mind and your body. It was warrior training in every sense of the word. I worked in a medical unit during that time as a patient administrator. When I got back to my unit, I saw that same sergeant who told me I wouldn't be able to do it. I called his name and he snapped into attention threw his arm up and saluted me and said, yes, ma'am. From that point on, that is how he addressed me. I earned that respect, which was hard for anyone in the military back then, especially women. It was in my blood to give it everything that I had. After all, I was raised by a superwoman. I don't know if you know it, but both you and I were raised by our ends. <laughs> my mama was a nurse, is a nurse. So oh my goodness. Power. So yes, and raised, you know, with that can do. That is so amazing. That is so amazing. We welcome Dr. Regina and Dr. Caroline and Dr. Lindy, who have all tuned in to be oh, with you wow. this morning. And I don't know if they've ever heard that story about you. Uh, and how you overcame, how you mm -hmm. overcame, girl, you know, my hat's off to you. Let's go into your tour of duty. Let's go in because you saw action. You were on the front lines. What yes. was that like? Take us there. Take us there. All these things that have shaped who Dr. Kina is today. Well, yes, I was in the red zone which meant that we flew in to a large Air Force base. And when they trained us, they actually showed us videos of women who were pretending to be pregnant. And underneath the dress was a bomb. So at some point they asked me, can you go off the base to treat Iraqi women? And I said, no way, no how, but I'll definitely be here to treat all of the women on this base. So I ran a troop medical center and we saw plenty of patients with high blood pressure, diabetes, asthma, all of the primary care things. However, we had a trauma hospital and on that trauma hospital all day long, Helicopters were flying in and out, bringing patients. So I had a pager. I assisted the general surgeon. They had a subspecialty for everything. I assisted them. They assisted me. And what happened was they texted me. They paged me one day. And they said, oh, uh, Colonel Peppers, we just wanted to run something by you. We have a young lady that's here. And she has a positive pregnancy test. She has blood up to her liver. And we were going to just put her on a helicopter and send her to Baghdad. Now, Baghdad was quite a ways away. And of course, listening to that, I said, no way, no how. I'll be at the hospital in two seconds. I arrived. I had asked them to start transfusing her. Her hemoglobin was high. 
And for the longest time when I went, I kept asking myself, why do they need an OB-GYN? Why do they need an OB-GYN? Why am I here again? Well, this was exactly why I was in Iraq. When I took her to the operating room and I made that incision, the blood spurted out like a fountain. She had a ruptured ectopic pregnancy and there was no way, no how that she would actually make it to Baghdad. She would have died in transition. So I knew when I was in that operating room that I needed to save not, not even just one life, but her life. And while I was there operating, what happened, which happened frequently, is that we felt uh, the earth move, we heard a bomb, everybody stopped, looked up, and went right back to surgery. A vascular surgeon was assisting me. She looked in and she said, what's that? Just like when I'm assisting them and it's some traumatic injury, I look in and say, wow, what's going on? But because you're a surgeon, they know that you can assist. And that was the real reason why I went to Iraq was to save lives. And after that, I started getting so many gyne cases of women with torsed ovaries, another ruptured pregnancy. So I was very, very busy. And I also ran a women's health clinic. We did pap smears, colposcopies, and I was also on the rape team. Unfortunately, that was going on there as well. So I was very busy with my pager and between three clinics and going to the trauma hospital. So it was, it was very, but it was very rewarding. It was very rewarding. Although we were bombed every single day, someone would come on the speaker and say, incoming, incoming. And you would stop and look for the bunker and start running toward the bunker so that you would be safe. So it was very, very challenging. Wow, 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 wow. This is so amazing. And, and again, I'm, I'm so honored to be talking to someone who has served the world and who served our nation in this way. We got some excited comments in the chat. Dr. Regina's is all excited saying our moms are cut from the same cloth and she's proud. Her father also served as did my dad. Oh, wow. My father was in... Oh my goodness, he was a Buffalo soldier. He was in the last mounted cavalry before they became a tank division and chased uh, Brahmel across uh, Northern Africa, the, oh, the wow. sands and the deserts of Africa. So you've got some military folks, some, you know, those of us that are the offspring of military people and people in nursing. We have a particular kind of background, a particular type of. <laughs> Comradery, camaraderie, a particular type of understanding. My father-in-law also served. He was career military. So it is, um, this is an exciting and meaningful conversation, what it means. And as one of our audience members is saying, another Shiro, thank you for your hard work 
and accomplishment. An amazing testimony and life story. Victoria is saying a very quick question with all of the emotional challenges you have gone through, especially in Iraq, do you have flashbacks? How do you realistically cope now dealing with your battle scars? And that's well, a hot topic with all the post-traumatic stress, right? Correct. And the funny thing is when I returned, I actually felt like no one asked me. No one really asked me what happened over in Iraq. Of course, my, my closest friends, my family, I would email them and tell them what was going on. And we had uh, a phone that we could use only during certain hours where I would be able to call. And they were over the top excited about the things that I was saying. However, no one asked me exactly what happened when I was taking that shrapnel out of someone's face or I actually saw things that had been blown up. So it was initially, it was rough. However, I, I find that I, I do not have flashbacks. I do not. Mm -mm. Well, you know, everybody, look, we have somebody who's ready to buy your book. What a story. <laughs> I'd love to have your book. I think the pre-sales just started happening. <laughs> so this is how you can reach directly to Dr. Kina for sure. And yes, you do want to have her book. You don't, you do want to reach out to her. Those of you that have conferences coming up that know, even if you don't have a conference coming up or an event coming up, but reach out to Dr. Kina, reach out to any of these guests that I bring before you, because just the same way that you're riveted right now, they're going to rivet your audience and increase the value of your mm -hmm. event. So again, we are talking to one of our, not only one of our nation's top doctors in obstetrics and gynecology, but one of our nation's heroes, one of our nation's heroes, sheroes, and it is just amazing. All right. We're going to continue with this story. We got a lot more to go. Now, Dr. Kina, one of the reasons why you are so devoted to women living with chronic illness, chronic injury, is because that's also a part of your story. Definitely. What happened, Dr. Kina? How is it that you also became a patient yourself? Well, when I was... Uh, working as a um, private in a private practice, I started to develop some neurologic symptoms where I was getting numbness and tingling in different places in my body. When I would tie my mask as I'm going to the operating room, my arms would get weak. As I would pull up my scrubs, my legs would get weak. And before they were able to diagnose me with anything, I actually started having these hiccups that just would not stop. The hiccups actually took me to the emergency room. And once I was in the emergency room, initially I was sent home. And when I went home, I started developing hiccups with nausea and vomiting. So I went right back. When I went back, thank God I went back because 
I deteriorated quickly because I started having some uh, weakness in my <laughs> lower extremities. And then it was followed by shortness of breath. And when I became short of breath, I had to be intubated. So I had to be placed on life support. And I was placed on life support and tests were run. And when I had the, the MRI, I had a lot of swelling in my brain. And in addition to that, I had a lesion in my cervical spinal cord. And it was amazing because two months before that, I had a normal MRI. So this is how quickly this attacked me. I was intubated for about two weeks. And at the end of that, what I remember is lying in the bed. I could hear the voices of my family members. And then I heard these footsteps and it sounded like it was a group of people. I could, I could smell the hand sanitizer that they were using. And the footsteps stopped right at the end of my bed. And then I could actually feel them whipping the color, the covers off of my feet, asking me, I need you to try to move your feet. And I thought I was in a dream because I'm saying to myself, of course, I can move my feet. And I realized at the point that I was unable. I was unable to move my feet. And I wanted to tell them that I couldn't move my feet. However, my voice was muffled. I was stifled because when they removed the tube, they damaged my vocal cord. So in order to hear me speak, you had to put your ear up my, um, my lips. And I realized that when I opened my eyes, all I could see was black with gray. So my diagnosis was neuromyelitis optica, otherwise known as NMO, which is a very rare autoimmune disease that only affects 4,000 people in the United States. So the physical therapist came to see me, set me up in the bed, and I immediately fell forward. I had no tone. He put my arms around his neck, me up by my waist and as he put me in a chair my legs dangled like a raggedy and dow and they had to put pillows alongside my body in order to keep me upright and I couldn't even hold my head up 
And that was how I went from the neural intensive care unit over to the rehabilitation center. And even though I had a long road, I stayed positive. I had my glasses on. I wanted to wear my glasses even though I was blind because I told someone who asked me, why did you have your glasses on? Because when God brings my vision back, I want to make sure that I can see clearly. And I had to learn to walk as if I were a baby. As a machine lifted me up, my feet just touched the floor. And I went from that to a harness that hung from a ceiling to a treadmill. And I was eventually able to walk. I was eventually able to run. But through it all, only by the grace of God was I able to make it back. After several treatments, my vision came back. I returned to walking. I was able to do this through my faith, my family's faith, and my support that I had through all of the affirmations that I had stuck all around my room about I am bigger than this disease. I, I began journaling once I could write. And I just had to believe that everything was going to be okay because I said God did not bring me this far to leave me. And I knew that after I made it back that I had a purpose that God saved me for a reason. And the reason why God saved me was so that I could then tell my story to women who are like me. They may not have had uh, the exact same illness that I had, but women who have chronic illnesses. And of course, through all of that, I was on massive dose of steroids and I gained at least 40 pounds. And I knew that it took a long time for me to lose that weight. And I wanted to make sure that I nurtured to these women, nurtured to them and tell them my story and tell them how I was able to make it back through the affirmations, through the mindset. Because if you're not in the right mindset, you don't have the right, right. mindset. We're back. You're not going to be able to. Looks make. like Dr. Kina might be frozen. Oh, yes, am I frozen? And, and, you now? know, so many of your testimonies are pouring in. They're pouring in. Dr. Kina, we lost a little connectivity, but people are just, you know, your story is so moving and so powerful. I love what one of our participants, one of our audience members said yes, a miracle for yeah. a miracle worker. And yes, our ability, to, we are so miraculously made. God made this body temple. Yeah. And I know part of your message to your avatar, to the people that you are working with 
is to care for this body, to pour into this body, to understand that the healing is there, the overcoming is there, to never let go of that, never let sight of that. I love that you couldn't see and you put your glasses on anyway. Yes. So that when the sight was restored, you would see and you would see clearly. Do you, are you all feeling this? Are you all yes. hearing this? And remember, if you want to be in touch with Dr. K, email her. Even if you want to email her to encourage her, email her some more affirmations. As she writes her book, you never know, some of your affirmations might show up in her book. <laughs> powerful, powerful, powerful. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So, Dr. Dr. Kina, if you had to give people a few tips, three to five tips on what we all can do to nurture ourselves and mind, body, and spirit, what would those tips be? The number one tip would be mindset because it's a lot, it changes in mindset you have to go above and beyond because you want to make sure that you are in the present, that you are in the present on purpose, and that you have a clear thoughts about what you want things to be like. Affirmation that gives you that positive thinking, that positive, I can do it, because what you can't do is that you cannot give up hope. Hope is so huge. Hope is so huge that once you give up hope, it's a completely different story. I would say journaling, write it down. Just like when you were uh, 12 years old, you had a diary. Write those thoughts down. Write those thoughts down so that you can purge that you can get those things out of your mind, that you, you have some way to talk to someone, even though you're talking to the paper, just get those thoughts out. So those are some of the highlights that I would say that you could use. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Keener, you're going to have to come back again. Definitely. Um, once this book is out, because we're going to want to know more, we're going to want to follow up and just get to know you better and better and better. So, yes, yes, yes. Anybody, you know, so so on next week's show, I hope to be talking about everyone's post-pandemic plan post-COVID plan. We're going to be addressing the nurturing aspect of mental health. Now, yesterday, Dr. Keena and I were also together in another way. Another colleague had his virtual synchronous live and online conference, Licensed to Live, Dr. Yes. Jared Patton. And what I want to do, because Dr. Jared was recently a guest on this show. He was recently a guest on this show where he talked about, he was in my my annual Father's Day show where he talked about this conference. Dr. Terrelon, who's watching with us this morning, was live in Philadelphia. <laughs> Sister Doc hugs in. 
And I just want, again, remind people to reach out to Dr. Jared. This conference is not just for doctors. It's for everyone. It's for everyone. And it is, we, we need this right now. We need this license to live. We need this license to live. It is, the focus is for people where the bottom has fallen out. You were going one way. And just as we learned from Dr. Kina this morning, hey, here's another surprise for you. You you know, where you've lost something big. You've lost your livelihood. You've lost the ability to use your body. You feel like you're going to lose your mind. And he brought together some an outstanding panel of international powerhouses, people that were both in the United States, outside of the United States. Most of us were there live presenting down in the old city in Philadelphia. Dr. Kina, what was one of the highlights that you got from License to Live and Dr. Jarrett's conference? Well, you know, Dr. Jarrett's story is absolutely amazing. And how he came back from where he was and I don't want to give away his right, his special secrets, but he really came back from a place where a lot of people don't come back from. And for him to come back, and now he's basically nurturing other people who are in the same situation as he was in, not exactly, but to help them. It's like he's bending over, giving someone that hand help them to pull up, allowing them to step on his shoulder so that they can step up and step out. So that those were the really great things that I that I heard in the conference. Yeah, it was fantastic. And one speaker just built upon the other. I mm -hmm. opened the conference yesterday. He had a VIP day on Friday. And we learned, you know, how you can pivot with the skills you have if for example you are a medical doctor we also learned how to pivot if you're outside of medicine and again the bottom has fallen out and that's really his specialty in his avatar where you've lost your license you've lost your livelihood you you know you feel that everything you've worked so hard for and studied so hard for has been taken away from you where maybe again you know law enforcement gets involved you may have been arrested so we're talking those kinds of life events that can really pull the rug out from under you. He's got a special program that he's starting License to Live, the collaborative. So I want you all reach out to Dr. Jared. Reach out to, you know, I'm telling you, I'm bringing you the world's best right here on Sunday mornings, right here on Sunday mornings. And I have to ask, Originally, what part of the South is your family from? Your mama has just been all in the chat, and I love it. There's a reason why I'm asking. What part of the South are you, is your family originally from? They are from Alabama. Okay. All right. Well, it's interesting because one of my family maiden names is Gilmore. Oh, really? And your mom is Patricia Gilmore, Gilmore, who's saying faces the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Yes, indeed it is. And I'm wondering who knows? We might be family. 
We might right. be family after Kina. Gilmore is but her married name. Is Gilmore her married name? Mm-hmm. So what? So your dad's family? Where where were they from? Also, Alabama. My dad's family is is it? They are from the south. My dad's family is Peppers, which is my maiden name. Okay, that's your main and Gilmore. Is that your mom's married name or maiden name? Her second married name. Her second married name. Okay. All right. Well, we got to see. We got to see. We got to see what's happening. And who knows in those ways of being six degrees of separation. All right, folks. It's time for us to say goodbye. My goodness. Dr. Kina. It was just fantastic having you. Mark your calendars. We've got two more shows in our summer season. We're going to have Rebecca Schoenwolf with us next week. Mental health and nurturing yourself. What is your post-pandemic plan? And then Dr. Donna Hamilton. We're going to wrap up with all that she knows. Again, continuing with nurture on our post-pandemic plan. What's yours? Well, if you don't have one, we're going to pull it together over the next two Sundays. Dr. Kina, thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me. You are so welcome. You are so welcome. I'm going to sign off, say goodbye to the wonderful city of (laughs) Philadelphia, and enjoy some Sunday brunch. And I hope you all are going to be doing the same. Thank you all. Bye-bye.